The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the search continues for missing mother of three, Maya Miliette, who disappeared without a trace three weeks ago in Chula Vista, California. Her husband is cooperating with authorities and has admitted to a strained relationship. Could he have a hand in her disappearance? Nationally renowned human behavior and deception detector Susan Constantine will join us to review an interview that Larry gave to local media and share with us any possible clues she picks up on. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. I'm Vinny Politan. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for downloading. Share it with a friend. Let them know what's going on here at, at Court TV, which is a television network. And uh, I'm on television every night, but we do the podcast every week. And tonight, um, or today, I want to get into a little more detail about a story that we have been following on the air. And it's a bit of a mystery at this point, a huge mystery. There's a, there's a mother in Chula Vista, California, who has gone missing. She's got three young children, a husband who has spoken out, and we're going to listen to some of his words coming up in our next segment. But I want to begin with the backstory of, of who this mom is, what happened, where we are in the investigation. So let's bring in Court TV anchor Ted Rollins uh, to talk about the story of Maya, also known as May Miliette or Miliette. Vinny, this is a real head scratcher. Uh, Miliette is how her name's pronounced. Her name's Maya, but the, she goes by May. 39-year-old mother of three. She's got three kids, 11, 9, and 4. Married for 21 years uh, to a guy named Larry. Every, everything seems like it's perfect. She's got it. Well, let, let, let's start there with the 21 years of marriage. I saw the pictures of this couple. They look like they're 20 years old. Yeah, it, yeah, I was shocked when I heard they were married for 21 years. Well, um, so they met in high school. They were high school sweethearts. They connected, but their oldest uh, child is only 11. So they've had a, a long time together with and without children, but they have a family of three beautiful kids. Uh, and, you know, Vinny being a father, at those, you've got a four-year-old at home. So um she's missing she's gone and the question is did she just leave on her own because she needed to break away uh her family says no and it just doesn't add up when you you think about a mother of three loves her kids she plays the guitar sings and the kids are, are there when she's singing according to family members she has a life and for her to vanish off the face of the earth it is um a complete mystery and she she was last seen early January, January 7th, by her husband. And her husband says, we got into a fight and that we have not been getting along for a year. The last year of marriage, he claims, has been difficult. And he then says, the next day, Friday the 8th, he claims he heard her in the house but didn't see her. So the last time she was seen was January 7th. That's what police are going on. Okay, so the, the husband, Larry, is saying January 7th, he sees her. But then January 8th, he hears her, but doesn't see her in his house. Angry about the fight on the 7th, he stays in his corner and assumes that she's in her corner of this house. That's his story. But police are saying last seen on the 7th, a, a family member came over on the 8th, 
Larry let him in. Um, it's it was May's brother-in-law. He went up to her room, and Larry said, "She's up in the room." Um, knocks on the door, no answer. He leaves, assuming she's asleep and/or doesn't want to talk. This was the first issue for the family. The next day, Saturday, the ninth, is her 11-year-old birthday, and mom doesn't show up. This is when the alarm bells went through the roof. The family was already concerned because she wasn't responding to texts. Texts. Um, now she doesn't show up to her own child's birthday. Um, this is when the police were contacted. And since then, it has been an all-out search in Chula Vista, which is basically a suburb of San Diego. It's the entire southern San Diego region now is looking for Maya Miliete, known as, as May. Here's, and you look at this story and what happened. I mean, her car was still in the driveway, right? I mean, it's, she has a Jeep or something. I've seen photos of her with this, with this vehicle. That's there. I mean, for her to leave, either someone had to pick her up or she walked away, like literally just walked away. I mean, to, to me, that doesn't make, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but someone picking her up, maybe if there's someone else uh, uh, in her life, whether it's a friend or, or whoever, but it, it wasn't a family member. No. The, the, and that is it. So the two pair of possibilities, right, is well, several. But just we don't know the family. But let's let's be honest. Larry's a suspect. It, husband husband maybe did something to her. That's one. Next one is she walks away from her house just with her cell phone and her wallet, you know, with the credit card and, and ID. Third, she's picked up by somebody. The family is almost hoping for the third because the third checks some boxes, right? She can get picked up. She's got another life. She's got something that she's been hiding, but she's alive. The first two are pretty dire. Um, if she walks away and hasn't been heard for from, that doesn't make sense. And something bad could have happened, maybe take her own life scenario that, you know, it's horrible to think about, but that's one of the possibilities. And then of course, if Larry did something to her, that's also one, something the family doesn't want to um, be, uh, a reality, obviously. Right. And, and taking your own life, we're not saying that, but that's a possibility. We've seen that in stories like this where someone has disappeared. Sometimes they'll take the car and park it near some hiking trail or something, and then they sort of disappear, and then eventually uh, maybe a body is recovered. But there's no indication of depression here, is there? I mean, I, did family members say anything about that? Like, I understand marital problems. They can happen. It's a stress-filled house. You've got a 4-year-old, a 9-year-old, 11-year-old. You're with your high school sweetheart, and whatever's going on is creating stress. I get that. Um, but then missing the birthday party, it's not like you just missed the party. I mean, if you're the mom of an 11-year-old girl, I think you're throwing the party. It's not like you're just like, I didn't show up to the party that you invited me to. I'm the one throwing the party. Yeah, and that, that is the, you know, obviously when the alarm bells went off, it doesn't make any sense. So um, to your point, the family members say, no, she wasn't depressed. In fact, she was the opposite. She's the um, light up the room kind of person. She's the one that was always up for a party and wanted to plan a party and was into the planning. You mentioned her Jeep. This was also a big part of her life. She went, uh, she, they went with Jeepers, you know, other people with Jeeps, they would go on uh, these excursions, go on the beaches and the sand. This was a, this was a woman that was living a very full life. Friends don't know about, they claim, her family doesn't know, they claim about the marital issues. So she wasn't open about that. This is all coming from Larry. Yeah. 
And 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 the reports from police, I mean, publicly, they're saying that Larry is cooperating, right? Yeah, well, we've seen that happen before. But um, the yeah, it, it, on paper, they did serve a search warrant, which is part of an investigation. You would expect that. Um, and I would assume that they have, part as part of that search warrant, they have taken Larry's phone uh, and have started to do some analysis. To me, this this is one of those cases that could break at any minute. Um, and it comes down to, is there a case against Larry? Um, that's really what we're talking about. Right. Or in the alternative, is, is there any evidence that there's someone else in her life that no one knows about that would create this strange thing? But to me, it doesn't make sense. She comes from a big family. I mean, she herself has, uh, there's six siblings, right, all together, and the, the mother and the father are, are still alive, and it's a very close a tight-knit uh, Filipino family. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And they do things together. One of the reasons that the family was initially concerned was because she's always the first to respond on text threads. Well, they've got a family text thread that she didn't respond to talking about a trip to the mountains to celebrate her 11-year-old. Uh, no answer from May. That, you know, there's just nothing there from what the family is saying it would indicate red flags, another life, a lover of some sort, or or even let's say she has that, then to make the next leap and say, oh, I've just, uh, I, me and, 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 and this guy have now, we're off in Europe, living a life. No, she's not going to abandon her three children, according to her family. And it, that, that scenario is, um, as the days and hours go on, that third scenario that she was picked up and is now living this other life, it diminishes again because at some point she would have reached out to loved ones. You would think so. Now, for police doing the investigation, I, I think a timeline obviously is, is kind of where you start and you take Larry's story about hearing her in the house and then cross-reference that with the text chain that she's not responding to. And I think through that, you can put together, all right, does his story uh, jibe? Does it, does it make sense? Um, can they pinpoint when all communications kind of cease? How long does it usually take for her to respond to a text message? Things like that. To me, those are all part of this investigation. And, and the world we live in now, there's such a digital footprint for all of us that it, it can be um, easier for investigators to try to figure out exactly the time frame of when something went terribly wrong here. And you add... Larry's cell phone, where each and then the children. They're not, you know, the four-year-old maybe wouldn't be a great. The eleven and nine-year-old can speak to investigators. Did you see mom on that Friday? When's the last time you saw mom? Did you see? You know, this. That's another part of this equation because if Larry says she was home in the house on Friday um, and she wasn't, they'll be able to likely figure that one out. either via cell phone pings from her. And and how do you, the story, well, I thought I heard her. I mean, this is a tough one because if, if it's not true that she wasn't in the house on Friday and he said, I heard her in the house making dinner for the children. Um, that's what he told a reporter, at least in an interview shortly after the disappearance. And that's what the, the relatives are going on, Larry's story, that she was in the house at some point Friday. If that's not true, uh, that's another huge red flag. This one, you know, we, we've seen stories like this in the past. Sometimes they get solved. Sometimes they don't. I mean, some of these investigations go on and on and on trying to figure out what happened. But 
At this point, it's a missing person. It's not a, a homicide investigation. That can change very quickly. Sometimes um, the two meet very, very quickly in, in the way detectives look at, at what happened here. But from my perspective, you know, she's a mom. She's got three little kids. She's got a daughter who's turning 11. All these things don't point to voluntarily walking away. Now, let's get back to that scenario of other things in the world we live in now. You know, everyone's got surveillance cameras in their houses, right? I mean, you walk down my street, we're going to see you every step of the way, Ted Rollins, because I'll just call up my neighbors. Hey, can you send me your ring footage from, you know, 4.09 a.m.? I want to see if Rollins was, was in the neighborhood. I want to know who was, who was TPing my house, right? So I wonder if there's any sort of video evidence of anything happening in the neighborhood at any strange hours when maybe someone came by in a car or something like that. And if there isn't, if there isn't anything that shows her getting picked up, her leaving on foot, and the only thing you see is maybe his vehicle leaving from the garage, again, that's a huge clue. And you have to, you know, this is a this is a case that's getting a lot of attention. You know that the Chula Vista Police Department is getting some assistance in this from uh, likely the FBI and others. This is a case that I believe will be solved just because of the world we're living in, to your point, with the cameras and the digital footprint. Yeah, we, we hope so. But it's it's so heartbreaking. And we've had uh, the family on the program. And, you know, even before we get on the air, they're crying and weeping. It, it's so difficult. I mean, there's, there's a, a true bond. The one other thing that's happening here, though, is that the family of Maya, May's family, are the one, you know, her siblings and brother-in-law, sister, are the ones who are kind of out front in the search part of this, while Larry is home with the kids. And I think that's sort of an agreement or arrangement that they have made. Obviously, the kids need a lot of support right now. Um, Your thoughts about that, Ted? Well, you know, I've learned long ago, you don't judge the behavior of the husband or father or loved one during a missing person's case. Um, because I have, you know, when Elizabeth Smart was found, I was, um, I thought, oh boy, how wrong was I? I thought that that young woman was dead and she was alive and missing. So anything can happen. Um, anything can happen, but to your point, he's not out front. He's not now, he's not doing any interviews anymore. He seems to have the investigation, uh, centered on him and, uh, hopefully, that isn't the case because if that is the case, she's dead. Right. Um, if 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 he's guilty of something, you have to assume because we haven't heard from her that she, that she's no longer with us. And th- and that's the way they always do investigations. Like they start with the people who are closest to the the victim in the case or the missing person in the case, and that's what's going on now. Ted Rollins, I know you're super busy, uh, but I appreciate uh, all the information today. Thanks so much. You bet. All right, as Ted mentioned. The husband, Larry, did speak and spoke out to a reporter. We've got that interview, but we're not just going to play you the interview. We're going to break it down piece by piece and bring in the world's leading authority on deception detection. Susan Constantine joins us as we break down the words of Larry Miliette, the husband of the missing mom from Chula Vista.
For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. So Larry Miliette has spoken out and has spoken to KGTV in San Diego, uh, a Court TV affiliate, our, our Scripps sister station, and really um, was very candid or, or seemingly candid. I don't know if he was candid because I cannot detect deception. I'm not trained to do that, okay? I, I, I can take a guess, but, I, you know, I am not a professional in this area. So what I want to do as we listen to the words of Larry Miliette himself, whose wife has been missing since January 7th, I want to break down everything that he said in that interview with an expert. Joining us, Susan Constantine, the world's leading authority on body language as it pertains to leadership and deception detection. She's the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Reading Body Language and has been a go-to source for me on my TV shows and all the places and networks I've been on in analyzing body language and the voice of people that we are trying to figure out if they are doing anything that could be deceptive. Susan, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on, Vinny. So walk us through, and body language is one thing, right? Because then you can see the subject and you can hear them at the same time. So give us an idea of, of, of what you do in that area and then how you can extrapolate that as you tend to listen to someone because we're only going to have audio of Larry Miliette here. Right. So we, since we don't have the video, we can't do any behavioral analysis. We can't analyze any of his gestures and facial expressions or body movements. So all we have right here now is his voice. And there are three different ways you can detect deception. One is through behavioral analysis. The other one is through statement analysis, which is the language that they use, and also voice stress analysis. So for the purposes of this analysis, we're going to look at voice and we're going to look at or listen to um, the words that he uses. So each one of those are super powerful, but they can also be used independently or all together. So what we're doing here today is listening to his responses. And what I'm trying to extrapolate out of there is how he processes information. Because what we know in statement analysis is that every word a person speaks is coming, is, is their own choice of words. They're ones that no one has put words in their mouth. Um, they're, they're all from his subconscious mind. And so we're trying to figure out how he's processing information and then listening to the tone of his voice when he's uh, explaining certain uh, uh, questions that are asked of him. And from there, I'm looking for deviations from his baseline. Um, and throughout the video uh, audio, you can kind of get an idea what his baseline is, which is very flat. There's not a lot of uh, voice inflection. There were just a few moments of it. Um, and so what I do is I tie together uh, changes in tone to words that are spoken and wondering out, wonder, wondering and trying to figure out what's the stimulus that caused it. So it's it's a quite a tedious process. You've got to 
listen to it over and over and over again and listen to the words very carefully and then take into consideration the training what words are um, based on uh, research are things that we should be really paying attention to and i did see quite a few indicators that uh, gave me pause Okay, so let's get let's get to it. Let's listen now to a little bit of Larry Miliette. And again, we're going to break it down piece by piece here to give you an opportunity to respond to uh, what we hear in each section of this interview that he did with KGTV. Let's start. When did you first notice that May was missing? Last uh, Saturday morning. Okay, and tell uh, me her parents came by. Mm-hmm. Just tell me, kind of walk me through like the last time you saw her and what was going on. Uh, Thursday, Thursday night. Um, you know, like we got into a, a, a kind of an argument, um, and, and you know, we've been having, uh, you know, like problems, um, you know, for about a year. Kind of like been up and down and stuff like that. But after that, you know, I gave her space. So just tell me. So you got into an argument, and then um, the last time you saw her was actually in the house. Yes. Okay. Thursday. So she yeah. did. She and she didn't take a vehicle. No, no one saw her leave. Um, no, but on Friday, um, I could still hear, but I didn't physically see her when I got home. But that's like normal too, because we, you know, we have lots of bedrooms and two-story house, and you know, we kind of like, well, I give her space. So, but that's why every time someone says um, Thursday, yes, it's physically, you know, or you know, visually see her, but um, for me, it's uh, Friday, Friday night. You know, I can hear her, like, wrestling around, making dinner for herself in another bedroom. I'm sleeping with the kids in another bedroom. Okay. So, upstairs, and she's downstairs kind of deal. Like, kind of like a roommate um, thing. It's okay. kind of like giving each other space. Well, sure. I, I don't need the space. She always wants the space. Got it. So, yeah. it was, like, Friday, and then you left or went went somewhere and then came back, and she wasn't yeah. there, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I left her with my two girls because they, you know, they... um. Uh, do their homes homeschool, mm-hmm. and then I just had my son with me. So uh, when I came back, she was still there on Friday. Um, we can hear her downstairs, you know, like after I'm done giving the kids baths and feeding them and everything. And um, on Saturday morning, uh, when her parents came came by, uh, her door was locked. Uh, I found the keys to the bedroom, and I opened it and. She was already gone, so okay, maybe she went to a morning sunrise hike, you know, because she, she didn't go jeeping because that's one of her other hobbies, uh, the jeep group. And, um, you know, she would have taken that, so assumed maybe one of her friends picked her up and, um, you know, they went hiking or wine tasting. She likes to go wine tasting to Mecula. That's her other thing, or brunch, early morning. Yeah. After that, you know, like, at night, we're like, okay, she hasn't come home yet. Um, which is sometimes okay. You know, she'd go out maybe for drinks or something. Uh, she usually doesn't drink a lot, but recently she's been, you know, uh, doing that. You know, the latest she would be home like 2.30 or, you know, 3.30 in the morning. After that, that's kind of like out of the, you know, ordinary. Wow. All right, Susan, let's start with, with this section. I think there's a lot in there in terms of information that he's volunteering, but what are you hearing? Well, there is a lot of information, and so I went through it line by a line item. So let's begin with when did he notice uh, May was missing, and then he responses, um, he has his response to that. But if you notice the first two questions that were asked, 
he's very quick. He doesn't add any additional information. He's just very vague. I mean, he didn't he didn't give you any additional information. And then he, he gives you information that's not asked of him. So he's, he, he gets, he starts talking about the, the arguments that he and his wife are having. And he, and then he goes on to say, it's been going on for a year. So that's what, why is that important? It's because it's information that the um, interviewer didn't ask him. So again, we're trying to figure out what he's thinking, how fast he's thinking, how he's processing information. And for some reason, he felt he needed to inject that into a story for a purpose. So that's important information. The question is, why does he want us to know that he uh, has been arguing with his wife for the past year? He's trying to set us up to that what happened in her disappearance wasn't something that just happened one time. It's been ongoing for a year. So thinking about subconsciously how he's trying to set us up to think. Now, he hasn't been accused of the crime. I'm just uh, or the uh, summon of his wife missing or of a crime. But this is these are things that as a some of the specializes in statement analysis, we're going, well, wait a minute. He is not really answering the questions. He's giving us way too much information and he's not answering the question with an answer. He's giving additional information that I didn't ask for. And that is doubly important when you're analyzing language. Why did he inject that into the story? So then he says, uh, we're like roommates. So now he's trying to set a scene that they're in these separate places because again, he's trying to give you a reason why he didn't see her leave because we're like roommates, we're in separate rooms. I could hear her, but I don't see her. And then he says, I don't want to give her space. So and that, that gives me information saying that she is more unhappy with the marriage than he is. He wants to stay in the marriage. She wants a space. And then he says, I let her have her own space. So it's, it's like it's his decision only, not a mutual decision to have space and why they're living on different floors. And then, then there's uh, where he discovers that she's gone on Saturday morning. Um, and then he says that the parents come over, the doors, the locked doors locked, you know, he's giving, he's not, he's, he's, what he's doing, he's skipping over information. He's not giving us the full story. So the answer to that question was that the parents came over, uh, they came in the house and I went to go knock on Mia's door. He doesn't say that. He just says the door was locked. So he's already jumping ahead in the story, and now he's leaving out relevant information. It would be normal to say that I, parents came over, and we were looking around for me. I couldn't find her, so we knocked on her door, and then we found her door was locked. So, see, there's a, you need to kind of build the scene up, but he jumps ahead of time. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and I mean, this is just a small chunk and all this information comes out so quickly, so quickly. Right. And, you know, Vinny, here's another one. He says, I left her with my two girls. Now, I, I, I maybe I'm missing something, but aren't these children theirs? Yes, they are. They okay, are. So High school sweethearts, 21 years married. Right. So now they're becoming his children. They're in separate floors. He's doing all the mom and dad things, right? And then he, when you see the word, I 
left, the word left is huge in statement analysis, which I know you can't see. But when we look at the word left, left, anytime you hear the word left, that tells you that something occurred to cause her to leave. So when a person injects the word left, that's what we call highest, highest level of sensitivity language. People leave because there's an argument. They leave because something occurred. They, you know, so, and then she, I left her with my two children. Sense of ownership. Now it's no longer with, it's no longer our children. So it's really interesting, this dynamic and the language that he uses, I found to be um, something that needs to be further investigated because there's, there's a reason why she left. I want to know what occurred prior to her leaving that caused her to leave. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, yeah. and the other picture you're giving me is that there, there, there is trouble in paradise here, whatever's going on between these two. And again, um, he has not been arrested at the time that we're making this. He hasn't been arrested. He's not a suspect. And police have said nothing uh, but that he has cooperated fully in the investigation. All right. Let's listen to more now of Larry Miliette. So um, my sister-in-law was recommending, hey, you know, maybe uh, we should call the cops now. I was like, well, I'll give her some time. Um, but we uh, initially got to the police report, you know, they're like, hey, you got to check the hospitals first. Mm. So this is like around 12 o'clock at night. And uh, it's like, okay, you know, they start checking the hospitals. Um, uh, 12.30, they finally filed the police report. And I was like, well, you know, maybe give her some time because I'd, I'd call like at 4.30 because, you know, give her some time if it's really, really out of the ordinary. Yeah, so after that, you know, they started to... Uh, investigation. Well, you know, three cops came. Uh, I let them search the house. They looked all the houses, all the cars. You know, and then we just been waiting. And then I got uh, the NCIS called me, and then he, you know, he was able to search the house and everything. Uh, my in-laws have been here the whole time. Uh, they start uh, doing the, the neighbors, you know, the cameras and everything, trying to uh, figure out if when when she left. You know, like they can see it, but they can't really because it was nighttime kind of deal. Uh, we're just basically trying everything and anything trying to trying to find her. All right, Susan. So here he, he's describing the scene with the in-laws and, and the search and everything. And I mean, once again, a, a lot of information is coming out and he's he, I'm getting a, a pretty a somewhat clear picture of what's going on here, that you've got police in and out of the house. You've got the in-laws going and talking to the neighbors and everyone seems to be frantically trying to figure out what happened here. But his voice isn't so frantic. No, he's very passive throughout. Uh, and, you know, he uses a lot of passive language. You know, he's, he'll say, you know, like we're supposed to know. Like this is ordinary, you know. And his pausing, his lack of urgency, that's not even, you don't hear it in his voice inflection. You don't see it pitching like he's, really upset like we've looked around the house you know we went outside and so forth and here's the other interesting thing he never initiates any of this he's he's being told by his uh in-laws that you know maybe you should be calling the police or maybe we should you know calling and uh filing a missing person and he goes yeah okay well let's just wait wait why are we buying time here so when i'm looking at and listening to what he's saying he has no sense of urgency to look 
for her at all. And he's not injecting himself into finding her. He's talking about what other people are doing. And it's almost like he's off on the side watching other people do what he should have been doing to begin with. Because he never mentions, I called here friends. I, um, I called the hospitals. I you know, drove around the neighborhood. I searched her room. I looked, I, her phone is there, you know, where's her phone? He doesn't say any of that stuff. So I'm sitting here and it kind of reminds me of Christopher Watts when his wife is missing and he's just kind of like nonchalant about it, like it's no sense of urgency. And and what he's trying to do is do to play up to that he doesn't read clueless. They're living these separate lives. She's up, she's downstairs, I'm upstairs. I wouldn't know. She's probably out with friends, which is what we're going to talk about next. So I found that to be very um, suspect and certainly needs a further investigation. Absolutely. Well, let's continue. We're listening to Larry Miliette. His wife, Mai, has been missing since January 7th. He spoke um, with KGTV. Let's let's take a listen to more of that conversation, that interview. Well, Larry, Larry, just tell me, how, how worried are you and what do you think happened? Where um, do you think she is? I wasn't really worried. Um, you know, I was kind of like worried, but, you know, I wasn't like totally worried until the birthday. I was thinking, okay, maybe, you know, like she's just blowing off steam. She's like, you know, doing what she told me before where she wants everyone to leave her alone. Because before I used to get her family involved, like, hey, she's not coming home. You know, and then why'd you call my family? You know, I just want everyone to leave me the thing alone but you know I was like okay this time I think she stepped up her game you know like she's blocking everyone but now that you know she missed our daughter's birthday and like with all this pressure with the media and everything um there's something keeping her from contacting us so um my sister-in-law's you know I don't really try to think about that stuff because it's like mind-numbing but I'm trying to stay positive but, you know, when people are telling me, hey, you know, maybe she got into an accident while she's hiking, you know, and she can't get her phone, like, well, her phone would be right next to her, you know what I mean? Like, she wears Fabletics, so it would be in her pocket. So, worst case scenario, I don't know what what's keeping her from, you know, contacting anyone, but this pressure should be enough pressure to say, hey, you guys, you know, I'm okay. Right. So, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to think, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still trying to you know, keep my head up, trying to say, hey, you know, keep positive and say, I'm hoping, you know, like, she'd just come home, you know, even though this, this whole situation is embarrassing. That's, uh, that really struck me, where he described this as embarrassing. And, and you know what? We don't know what happened. And it could be that she walked away. It could be that she got abducted. It could be that she just went AWOL. I, I don't know. No one knows yet. Um, but to call the situation embarrassing to me is a that's a strange choice. It was a change, uh, strange choice of words. And that's one of the words that I underlined with a star that that's not a word you would typically hear. Why is there embarrassment? If I were the interviewer, I would use um, repeating back the words he used. It's like embarrassing with a question mark in your voice so that he could then elaborate on why he found that to be embarrassing versus concerning. So, and, and he's also giving us a lot of possibilities to kind of, you know, uh, get him out of the scene, like change your direction, don't look at me. 
Um, you know, she goes to brunch, she goes hiking, she likes to do wine test, testing, tasting. These are things that she likes to do. So he's providing possibilities of what, where she would be is why he didn't become alarmed. So again, what it's doing is taking him out of it. These are also some possibilities. You got to go check all these other things out first before you come back here. And again, his voice never has a sense of urgency or worried. In fact, he was asked whether he was worried and he repeats it back, worried. And then he goes worried, but, and then when he uses the word, but you can pretty much remove anything that was said before that because he really wasn't worried. So all of this tells me, why wouldn't he be worried? Why wouldn't he be concerned? Um, and why is he not um, being more involved in trying to find his, his wife? It, the, this whole scenario reeks of questions. The more he talks, the more he's revealing about himself. This is beautiful information to, be, to analyze because he gives you so much irrelevant information. He gives you a lot of possibilities. He's trying to like almost like solving the, solving the picture, solving where she's at, but very little of anything substantial. It's, it's unbelievable. And we've got more to play for you folks. So uh, Susan's gonna stay with us and we're gonna listen to more of this interview. Again, Maya Miliette uh, missing since January 7th. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. We are listening to the words of Larry Miliette. His wife, Maya, has been missing since January 7th, and he spoke with KGTV. I've got Susan Constantine still with us. Uh, she's a deception detection expert as we listen to the voice of this husband and father whose, whose wife and the mother of his three small children has been missing and disappeared from their home. And uh, Susan, if, I, if you had to give me one word... I used to do this a lot on, on another show that I had. Yeah, one word to describe um, Larry Miliette's interview, what would it be? Suspicious. Okay. Let's continue taking a listen here. Um, here he is talking about um, what it's like the longer that she is gone. I don't know what, what you think, but the, the longer it's going, the more like surreal it gets because... You know, what they say is like the first 48, 72 hours is the most critical. You know, I've seen mm -hmm. enough uh, movies and, you know, documentaries about this kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the worst case scenario is basically, you know, something's happened like very terrible. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. I mean, how, how worried are you? Do you think there's still a chance that she could voluntarily have left and she just needs time? How worried are you? Um, that's what I'm hoping for. And this is like really the like whoa you know come on why did you have to do this the whole thing, but I'm I'm really worried and shaken. But again like most of the time it's just numbing, mm -hmm. like you know surreal kind of deal. I'm just worried about her and you know trying to keep things normal with the kids because I, I know they don't show it, but 
you know, it's really affecting them. So when she didn't surface for your daughter's birthday, that was yeah, really that's, unlike that her. Was the pinnacle. Yeah, that was like a gut wrenching feeling, and you know, you break down a little bit. It's like, well, you know, she would never, ever, not even say, "Hey, honey, you know, happy birthday," kind of deal. So, and they, they've, yeah. and your eleven year old's old enough. Has she asked? Like, are they asking? Yeah, she, she's asking. Um, but she's kind of like me, you know, keep keep stuff in the shell. Don't really want to, you know, open up. Susan, something that struck me here is he he describes moments as gut wrenching, but the overall theme that I'm hearing from Larry Miliette is he believes that she walked away, that she did this herself. He's almost, I get the feeling that he's blaming her for what happened here. Um, But then on the other hand is saying it's gut-wrenching. Yeah, he's playing victim here. It's gut-wrenching. I'm worried. I'm shaken. Usually those types of emotions you hear after, you know, it's not common for, let's say, a crime to be committed. And, um, a person to talk about their emotional responses after the event, but he's not after the event yet. So he can't really be shaken uh, because he doesn't have enough information yet. Right now he's should be in action mode, right? Right now you're in fast mode. You're not in the end part of it where all the emotion is released uh, when things are almost seem inevitable. So he's kind of jump starting where the inevitable is already happened. Does that make sense, Vinny? It does. He's fast forwarding. He's fast forwarding. Those emotions should be at the end, at the very end after something had happened and then somebody, then the person releases their emotion, but he hasn't, there's nothing happened yet we haven't found her yet so he should be in action mode right because we don't know i mean it's a mystery right we don't know if she walked away if she was abducted if she's voluntarily made herself absent or if something terrible happened we it's it's really a mixture and and the other thing he struck me he, he said the first 48 hours are important and we all know that but earlier in his statement he was talking about giving it more time to me, that's a, a little bit of a contradiction. If you know when someone goes missing, the first 48 hours are the most important, right? But on the other hand, when he was having these discussions, he said that he was pushing for more time, to give her more time. Yeah, what he's doing right here is he's just doing a lot of filling in stuff because he's feeling anxious. So he's just trying to fill it in with other stuff to preoccupy. So he's starting to, to use... Uh, language that he's heard on television about what, you know, I've watched a lot of TV in this first 48 hours are concerning. Um, and so he's kind of reciting things that he's heard on TV or research, but it didn't feel felt to me. So when, when I'm listening to that, is he moving me to feel that emotion of that he is desperate to find his wife? Um, or is it not, is it just kind of like he's just having a conversation, but there's no emotion? And that's how I'm feeling. Because in, in the real world, when a person is concerned, their voice inflection, their tone, their rhythm, all that stuff is going to send a message to the receiver. The receiver is going to feel that same emotion, bounce it back. And so that conversation 
that's going between two people is felt by both, but I don't feel anything. When he's telling me this, it could have been the neighbor next door or something he read on the news. It, there, it's not him uh, experiencing all of this. So he does play victim. Um, and again, it goes back to the language where he's having all these emotional, so to speak, uh, responses, but he's not feeling, I don't feel it from him through his language or his words. All right, let's listen to the next part of the interview now where Larry Miliette uh, talks about the past and some past incidents and a little bit of the history again of, of their relationship and, and things that have happened. How many oh. times has she left before and how long has it been? Um, in the past, like before she would just like sit park or park somewhere or go like in the parking lot um, and the, uh, you know, that's years back, even, even this past year, you know, she just stay away. Um, uh, this year she'd like, you know, like go out, um, drink with friends or stay at a friend's house, you know, and try to sleep it off. Uh, months, couple months, um, she's been, you know, like wanting her space. So she'll go out with family to places and she'll just go out for days and stuff like that. But at least I know where she's at. So how, how, you know? when she, when she's gone, right. So, but when she has left, how long, what is the longest she's been gone for? Maybe a day for like till two thirty or three o'clock in the morning kind of deal. So never, never more than a day or, or two. Oh yeah, never more than a day. Okay, never more than a day, yeah. and then you always yeah. kind of knew where she was at. Okay. You know, not more than a day. Okay. Basically, or the next day. You know, again, I always tell her we have three kids. You know, you can't be doing this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, she would never be that irresponsible not to say, "Hey, I'm okay." Was there anybody that wanted to hurt her? Was there any other guy? I hate to ask, but, I, you know. Um, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, I told the police, you know, she really likes hiking. Okay. Um, you know, wine tasting, so Temecula and stuff like that. But I don't know what else to think, like, who would, you know, kidnap her. Or would she go hiking by herself? Um, she has, yes. But that's the one, like, close to the house. We have a hiking trail in San Miguel Park, or San Miguel right here. That's the only time she would go by herself. And yes, she has before in the beginning, um, but she would take her car. So right. she would go to the one, I don't know, the, the Santee one or the one in the Mesa. I, f I forgot, there's a mountain there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yes, those ones she would go by. So, but most of the time she would go with hiking moments uh, with Shane. And then, um, you know, she's like one of the leaders. And then everyone else is like, whoever shows up, shows up to that group. All right. Uh, the whole hiking thing to me makes no sense because he said that he heard her in the house on Friday and then Saturday was the daughter's birthday. So she's not going to go hiking on her daughter's birthday. To me, that makes no sense. But it makes no sense also because the car is in the driveway. But um, what do you think of, of his description of her? Again, I'm getting a picture here that he's kind of blaming her. And now she's perhaps a borderline alcoholic uh, that is out there doing these things. And he's telling her you need to be more responsible. I mean, it might be the truth. I don't know. But he's painting a picture for me of, hey, this she, she's got troubles. She's got some demons. Right. And so when we have to think about what he's thinking, right? So he's what he's trying to do is to set us up to having this visual picture of who she is and why she would have left. And she's got this drinking problem. And I'm telling her she needs to be more responsible, basically saying she's a horrible mother. She should be home with her family. But one of the things I want to bring attention to that 
came to my mind when I was listening to this is how long it took him to answer that question. Again, he's constantly filling in with all kinds of not it's not important information, but he's not answering the question. So when we look at when a person is asked a question and they're telling you, they're trying to tell you the story, how things unfold, there is 25% of the, say of 100%, 25% of the time they're spending leading up to that incident, 50% of that is the actual event, and 20% of it is how it ended. He spends a tremendous amount of time building up to, he puts all the content in first, and then she has asked the question again, you know, how long or how many times has she done this? And then he says, well, he's very vague about it. Well, basically, you know, one time. He should have said that at the very beginning, right? He, he didn't answer the question. He gave you all this other stuff that was not answering the question. And he's trying to build up all these scenarios and building up her, trying to get us to see this visual picture of who she is in his mind so that he's trying to appeal to our logic. Like he's trying to paint this picture that we can get a visual on who, what that relationship was about, what she, why she, what she was like as a mother, that she had a drinking problem. So for her to disappear would be weird. But then he does exactly what you said, Vinny. He contradicts himself. So again, the more he talks, the more he hangs himself. All right, let's listen to one more clip of Larry Miliette here talking about the uh, again, it gets comes back to the hiking and this whole hiking thing to me makes no sense based upon his story. But let's listen anyway. So she was a pretty experienced hiker. Um, not experienced. Uh, she was training for um, this hike that we, me and her, tried when like ten years ago before we had kids mm-hmm. um, down the Colorado River and um, the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it takes about a day. Yeah. To go down there. So she's been hiking and hiking. It's kind of a stress release. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wanted to do this, um, like, a s- seven hiking trail, like, you know, Twin Sisters, Devil's Peak, or Potato Chip Rock, and all the ones that she keeps mentioning. And I was like, well. But, so, but she would have she, taken her car, like, or there would have been a friend. Yeah, or Yes, exactly. If she didn't have her car, a friend would have to pick her up. Okay. So that's that's the only reason why. I think maybe she's wine tasting or... Uh, hiking with a friend because yeah. she's not jeeping because her car's here. Right. You know, so, she has uh, her own vehicle and she has a jeep. Like she yeah. specifically goes for jeep groups. So what has this been like, Larry, just emotionally for you? I know you said you're kind of just numb and you're trying to take care of three <laughs> children, but I yeah. mean, how are you uh, doing emotionally with this? I mean, this is... Trust me, I've been emotionally, physically, mentally drained. Um, it's no sleep, uh, not eating, um... You know, just my face looked like it just aged, like, I don't know. But, you know, the main thing is I can't really think straight. Okay. Um, I'll start with the wine tasting, Susan. I don't <laughs> – where does that come from? Wine t- – I mean, there's no indication that she's with any friends, and uh, she's wine tasting. Again, it's a combination of alcohol again – and just just taking off and going, I, my daughter's eleventh birthday. Come on, I'm going wine tasting. That's nuts, isn't it? It is nuts. And again, he's just trying to fill in with a bunch of 
frivolous words and possibilities. He's just throwing out to see what the other, see what he's trying to figure out is the interviewer if she's buying it. And the fact that she's continuing to ask more questions, he begins to talk more because subconsciously he doesn't feel like he's convinced you yet. So by doing that, he's trying to fill in with all these other possibilities. And so his mouth just starts running. And I don't even think he's even thinking about what he's saying. It's just rolling off his lips and just he's trying to find stuff and make it fit to make it sound good to her. But the, the reason why he's talking so much is because he hasn't been convinced himself that she's buying it. And again, folks, we have no idea what investigators have uncovered in this case. Um, they have said from the beginning that Larry Milliette has cooperated fully in everything. And here he volunteered to give the uh, interview. But the investigation continues and Maya still hasn't been found. Um, Susan Constantine, what do you think about um, what this has been like for him? And he talks about, you know, can't sleep, can't eat. I can't think straight. And to me, those words sound like they could be very true that someone could react to a very stressful situation and, you know, you have trouble sleeping because you're thinking about this and you, you don't even bother to eat. Um, and obviously with the lack of sleep and everything else, it becomes difficult to think straight. Yeah. And that would be normal, you know, that when somebody has been going through a very stressful time and their, your mind is racing, your heart is racing. Um, you're thinking about all different reasons why she'd be missing. Why did she go missing? Uh, what did I do? What caused it? The fight? Did it have anything to do with it? All these things would cause you to lack sleep. But what I found was really odd is what he mentions about my face is aged. So he's trying to set himself up like, again, the victim, like, I just want to let everybody know that how much it stressed me out because my face is even showing the age. That was kind of an odd thing for him to say, but I don't doubt that he is stressed, but think about it. You could be stressed out because you're you're trying to get yourself out of hot water, right? You're stressed because you're trying to tell a story different from what you know to be true. So that builds cognitive load. And with that, it's very stressful on the brain, stressful on the emotion, your whole physio physiology. You could be stressed because you're a uh, wife is missing and you don't know where she's at and nobody has any answers. So all of the above can cause stress. But to go with, you know, when you look at my face and it looks aged, that's just like taking it just a, a layer deeper that really is irrelevant. Well, your face hasn't aged at all, Susan, and it's great to see you and uh, uh, reconnect as we keep reconnecting in, in different places and different stories and different cases. But uh, this is one that will continue until investigators figure out what happened to Maya Miliete. But great to see you, Susan. Thanks so much for your expertise. Thank you, McFinney. Nice seeing you, too. See you soon. All right, folks. We'll continue covering the story. It doesn't end here on the podcast. Of course, we'll follow up here on the podcast when there are developments. But every night, 8 to 11 on Court TV, your front row seat to justice, uh, my program is on. If you have a digital antenna, and you don't get, and you haven't seen the show, and you're like, I don't even have Court TV. What are you talking about? Rescan that digital antenna, and you will likely find us uh, very easily. Also, check in the show notes. You'll have links to uh, articles and information on CourtTV.com as well. 
Um, that'll do it for this week, folks. Uh, we are done. We will be back here next week with another podcast. Uh, in the meantime, have a wonderful week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.